is not what I am Even though my zip code has changed I might smile and enjoy Where I could be employed Your soul can't be rearranged But it's hard to understand It's so hard to understand Farewell, fam It's episode 8 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast Your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast I'm Steve Garshinsky And joining me as always is J.P. Breen and Ryan Top. Uh, we'll try to balance the joy of a great series against the Cubs in Chicago versus the devastation of Jimmy Nelson's season-ending injury. Uh, first, we want you to know that we uh, take questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate, or email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com, or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And you can also follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter and you'll find that all in the Milwaukee's Tailgate uh, Twitter bio. Just a quick reminder that Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 or the Mix Pre 6, which we're currently recording on. And for more inf- information, visit sounddevices.com. Before we get into everything that happened this past week, I want to announce that you'll also be able to find Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast on Disciples of Euchre. So welcome to any new listeners that found us at disciplesofeuchre.com. And if you just listened to our podcast, please check out DOU. Uh, Gabe Stoltz, who runs the site, was gracious enough to have us back. And I was going to actually kind of get into the history of where we've all written and the fact that at some point, I think we ended up at Disciples of Euchre. JP ran it for a while, and then Ryan did. But with the Jimmy Nelson news, I don't know how much we wanted to, to give everybody all that backstory. I'll give a quick rundown of it. So basically, back in the day, Jack Moore and I were talking about how we could get a Brewers blog together that brought together a lot of the the bigger voices, I guess, in the Brewers blogosphere or something that was going to be able to produce much more consistent uh, content than all of us who had our own separate blogs. And so we were trying to put each other together. And it was the whole idea of, like the big three in the Miami heat and different things at the time that we were bringing everybody together under one roof. So yeah, Jack and I did that for a while. Um, and then, you know, obviously we had Steve and Ryan definitely came and held down the fort for a lot of it. Um, but it's, it's good to have, uh, it'll be nice to have our voices back on it. Yeah. And I think another landing page, cause we didn't really have a website that people could go to. So now the history of it is all in the, uh, profile page on there yeah it has like owner emeritus there's like six of us i think everybody's still on there yeah yeah, it's all still there and yeah so that's a that's a place to go and look yeah exactly so um okay we'll just get into it uh brewers playing in chicago and you know for all the hubbub about the uh game time being changed on friday from an afternoon game to an evening game it worked out for the brewers they got a two nothing win but there was a big loss in that game. Uh, with Jimmy Nelson going down, we found out on Saturday afternoon that he has a strained labrum. La- no, no, no. The labrum is partially a, torn. Yeah. And then a strained rotator cuff. Yep. Strained rotator cuff, torn, partially torn that, labrum. That seems much yeah. more legit. Yeah. So Jimmy Nelson is done for the season after having a breakout year up to this point. Um, I guess we'll start out, JP. What do you think the Brewers' chances are the rest of September without Jimmy Nelson in the rotation? Well, they obviously take a hit 
because Jimmy Nelson was the most consistent and the best pitcher on in the rotation. So trying to come up with a way that their chances stay the same or can improve it's kind of a futile task, but the, the best, the best news, if you can call it that, I mean, the silver lining is we're really looking at about three weeks of baseball. So in the large scheme of things, you were looking at three, maybe four starts if they were going to try to push it. So that's something the brewers can handle. They can try to figure out a way to, to handle three or four starts. So it's not like we're losing somebody in, in June or July and we're really trying to cover four months worth of baseball. So anything can happen in three weeks, but it's certainly not, it's, it's not an ideal situation by any stretch. Ryan, do you think Matt Garza just soaks up all these innings or do they have another plan? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're going to go with some different options. Um, I would say kind of looking at what they have. So for sure you have Anderson and I think that Anderson is actually going to come back on short rest. I, that hasn't been confirmed yet. It's been discussed, but he only threw 67 pitches on Saturday afternoon. So they had the luxury by the fact they got up very early to be able to pull him early. And yeah, the Brewers put up more runs than uh Florida Atlantic scored points against the Badgers on Saturday. Yeah. So I, that was, it was fun being at the football game, seeing that and then watching a football score get put up by the Brewers on yes. Saturday evening. Um, Anything and that tortures those Cubs fans. Anything, yeah. And I mean, that was it was beautiful because it was very much a walks and singles parade. Well, really, when, when did Joe Madden start pulling everybody from the lineup? Because it, it was the middle of the fifth. It was pretty quick that uh, if you went to see anybody who mattered for the Cubs, they were out of that game pretty early. Yeah, he didn't leave them in much past the the fifth inning. Um, the entire outfield got changed, and Rizzo and Bryant came out and. Yeah, it's been a kind of a nightmare for Mike Montgomery in general against the Brewers. Yeah, uh, I th- they put up double digit runs in, in a start from him earlier this uh, summer as well. So that was that bounce or the uh, the game that they pushed back. It was the rescheduled game that they ended yeah. up playing in July. So I guess and Montgomery's been pretty good against everybody else, too. Like this is the Brewers are sort of his kryptonite which... or or maybe the Cubs should just stop screwing around with the schedule. And uh, when they play the Brewers, because the Brewers seem to just take it out on Mike Montgomery. Yes, he is. He is the one who gets to take the brunt of all that. Um, But anyway, yeah, I I would guess my my number one guess would be I think Taylor Youngman is going to come up and we'll see him again. I know there's also a chance that we'll see Wilkerson. Um, He has to be added both Wilkerson and. Freddie Peralta have been discussed as possible options. I know he was brought up by McAlvey in his post on the subject. Both would have to be added to the 40-man roster, but both need to go to the 40-man roster this winter anyway. So it's not really pushing things too much quicker than they would absolutely have to be pushed anyway. But I still think Youngman has had some big league success. He's also struggled at times, but he had a pretty good year this year and has been throwing the ball reasonably well. So I think that it would be time to, I think he should probably get the first crack at it. But then again, like I said, I think that in the very short term, we're going to see Anderson again on Wednesday on three days rest. The three options for for young men, uh, Wilkerson and then Freddie Peralta, I thought was interesting because in some respect, 
it makes so much sense to just say, Taylor Youngman, you've already been up to the big leagues. You've gotten your feet wet. You're not going to be overwhelmed by the situation. You have a, a big potential playoff. I mean, it, it is a playoff run, regardless of whether or not it's a, just a game or two. Like They're in position in which they're playing meaningful games in September, so you do want to have somebody that you can rely upon and you're not worried that the lights are going to be a little bit too bright. But the other piece that is interesting anybody that you add to the rotation at this point is unlikely to progress to any postseason roster in my opinion so you could you could conceivably get cute and i know that this isn't the place to do that but if you treat every fifth day as a bullpen game and you decide that you want to be able to put freddie peralta out there for two or three innings and then turn it to the bullpen every single time where you don't have to worry about his sequencing the second time through the, the, the lineup. You don't have to worry about, you know, lefty seeing him a little bit too much. You don't have to worry about him having to throw his third pitch all that much. And you could just say, you know what, go out there with your fastball and slider and do it, do it for two or three innings. And we'll turn around and we'll have, Taylor will have Taylor Williams come in or we'll bring Oliver Drake in, or we'll have a Josh Hader go a couple of innings. You know, you can get creative because you're trying to only fill three or four spots. Right. And they could call all of them up to the big leagues. So they would have as much coverage as they could possibly want on any given day and have them all sitting around on the big league roster at that point. Youngman's already on the 40 man. So that's, I would assume he gets called up here pretty quick regardless. Yeah, I would imagine so. And then, yeah, you could basically just do the the make Doug Melvin go insane with a 38-man active roster and just, you know, have well, have that entire, you know, lo, or the extra locker room that they have there at Miller Park for all the extra players. Just fill it up. Just everybody, everybody's there. We'll just, you know, if you're on the 40-man, you're here. And you're on the and team. You could, you could get into a situation in which you could go by matchup, too. Right. So like if you're playing somebody that's got a bunch of lefties and you want to be able to neutralize them, maybe you have Wei Chung Wong start and go two innings. And, and then, then Brett Suter in. comes in. Right. And you just like mix and match through it. Um, it's not going to be anything that is. It's not going to be anything that people like. And if it goes poorly, there's going to be a lot of blame put on David Stearns. There's going to be a lot of blame potentially put on Craig Council because there's more people that he's going to have to put into the game that could potentially give up some runs. And then everybody talks about how that's a terrible decision because anytime a reliever gives up runs, it's a bad decision by the manager. So it, that's it opens, it opens, it it is science, right? It, it opens up a lot of really interesting possibilities. The easiest thing to do is you just put Taylor Youngman in it and you go. Uh, But I think there's some potential options that, maybe could have a little higher upside if you want to call it that. Well, yeah, nobody's um, going to mistake uh, Youngman for upside. Well, I did for a long people, time. There are some people that really like the minor league stats of him, though. Yeah. Wow. Well, and he did have a successful season pitching in a relatively tough pitching environment. So, Absolutely. And to be honest, like I, ha- I didn't watch any of his games at AAA, so I don't know how his breaking ball looked. That's something that's going to be very difficult to handle in a pitching environment like Colorado Springs. And so if he was able to figure that out and he, and he, you know, can work on his fastball command because his, 
I guess his, his mechanics don't make it easy for him to consistently throw strikes or consistently throw good strikes. So if he was able to figure that out and I haven't, it's not like I've tried to talk to people about Taylor Youngman or have watched any of his games in AAA, so I can't really speak to it, but there are scenarios in which he could have legitimately improved. Um, before we go on, we, I know I've talked about this on here before, but it's worth mentioning again that Jimmy Nelson was legitimately having a fantastic season for the Brewers. I mean, this was, well, I don't think that was a secret. Yeah. I mean, it's up there with, you could make a case that it's the best since sheets and Sabathia in 2008. I mean, it's, he was doing that well and it's, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I thought the really only people tough. that really had a shout was, uh, was it uh, Gallardo in 2010 uh, and maybe Granky, if you don't necessarily want to look at ERA and you want to look at some of the, you know, the underlying stats, I think Granky in 2011 could also have a shout. But yeah. I mean, otherwise, I think that pretty unequivocally, you could say that Jimmy Nelson was putting up one of the best, the best pitching seasons that the Brewers have had in the 21st century. And I don't think that in regardless if if you want to say that's the second best or the third best or whatever, that's not a real controversial statement to say he's top five easy. No, yeah. yeah, I think it was basically you could pick out a sheet season and then Sheets 2004 is the best. It's yeah. the gold standard. I mean, if you wanted to say Sabathia, that's kind of a right. It's such an oddity and a, a mercenary thing that happened. I mean, it, it's it a was, half season, but it amounted to so much more because sure through so much. But yeah, yeah, other than that, Jimmy Nelson this season is probably the best pitchers the Brewers have had aside from what Ben Sheets had done years ago. Yeah. So um, did you want to address uh, your confidence in anybody behind uh, Anderson and Davies, JP? Oh, yeah. Term- <laughs> like, I guess, okay, we, we kind of have a feeling for what Chase Anderson and Zach Davies can do. Right. Okay. So after those two, I mean, how are you feeling about Woodruff or Suter or just the the mix and match of guys in that fifth rotation spot? Right. Yeah, it, it's a crapshoot. I mean, I think that Brandon Woodruff has the advantage that he has pretty good stuff and a lot of people across the league haven't seen him yet. And that's something that's going to be able to benefit him. I think it was Dusty Baker in the Nationals. They were asked about whether or not he had seen Brandon Woodruff before. And he goes, nope, I know nothing about him. And then Brandon Woodruff went out and threw a wonderful start against him, which does, of course, beg the question of, is like Dusty Baker just not taking a look at any of the analytics or the advanced scouting reports? That's or Maddox's job. Or video? Or they like just literally not give any of their hitters any information on Brandon Woodruff and said, just figure it out, guys. If, it seems uh, like a very Dusty thing. If Dusty didn't see you play a decade ago, you don't exist. Yeah. Right. Like Dusty, uh, Dusty doesn't want to know what your name is until you've put in like your uh, until you're in arbitration, basically. Like he doesn't even care. But I do. I don't feel that confident behind anybody behind those two. Well, and I, think, I, I, mean, I don't necessarily think that anybody should feel confident with any of the guys behind him, even though they do have some talent there. But no, to your point from before, though, the nice thing is the way that things are set up now, because we're going through a short time period and because of the expanded rosters, they don't have to stick with Brandon Woodruff if he's struggling in the third or fourth inning of a game and it's still close enough you know, to matter. They can pull him and not worry about the, the ramifications of that because they can just you know throw so many different arms at teams now they don't, and, and basically go with a bullpen game. They can do that with Woodruff. They can do that with Suter. They can do that you know, on a, on a fairly frequent basis and not really feel the pain of it because of where we are in the season. So if there's a silver lining, that's it. They have some flexibility. 
Yeah, I think the the only negative side to that is the fact that you'd be relying on a bullpen that's not phenomenal. Right. right? There, there's a lot of interesting arms there. There are a lot of hard-throwing arms that you could mix and match. But it, it's, it'd be playing with a lot of fire to try to figure out a way for all of them to hit at the exact right time in the same game. Do you think do you think it's helpful that with expanded rosters you could limit the number of appearances for a lot of those guys instead of you know having to to march them out there on a consistent basis you can basically just deploy guys on a you know a wider time frame hopefully like limiting those those blow up moments well yeah yeah nobody who's not Swarzak Nebel or Kneb Knebel Knebel I still I still say it wrong um and uh, and I guess Hater. None of those guys need to see a team more than once in a series, really. I mean, there's unless it's just blowout situations and you're soaking innings, nobody really needs to see a team, you know, multiple times. They now, can they uh, can rotate through and now just, so, here. Uh, someone like Hater, okay. Um, do you think that he's going to be a bullpen game weapon or do they leave him more of a, as a relief ace? Do you know what I mean? Like if they yeah. see a bullpen game coming, do they think, okay, Josh Hader's not going to start, but you know, Hader can get us from the fourth through the sixth inning maybe, or something like that. Is, is that kind of a, a, a way they could use him? Or do you think they'll just kind of keep using him late in games or in higher leverage situations? I think the council likes to use him in higher leverage situations late in games now. I don't think he'll be somebody, unless it's a particularly big game that they need somebody to go early, I think he prefers to be able to match righties and lefties with Swarzak because I think that council has realized, and it's something that I, you know, and I'm sure that he knew this beforehand. It's not something that I'm sure he's realizing later. But, you know, I pointed out when the trade happened that Swarzak even when he was doing great with the White Sox, he was really struggling against lefties and they hadn't necessarily put together a good batting average on balls in play. He was walking a lot of them. His strikeout rate was down against lefties. And there were a lot of warning signs to say as a fastball slider guy, he's not somebody that you want to parade out in the eighth inning, no matter what. And so it seems to me that council really likes to be able to use Swarzak and Hader in different situations late in the game, depending on how the lineup stacks up. And thus far, I actually think it's been pretty successful. Yeah. I think that he's done a, a very good job of juggling that and trying to keep Hater on something of an even footing after he struggled a few times and had a few high profile hiccups, um, managed to get the two good innings out of him on Friday night against the Cubs. That was, that was impressive. Watching him go through that Cubs lineup was really something because he, uh, you know, he had had some some struggles against the Nationals, and so it was nice to see him bounce back that way. Um, okay, we're going to get back to some Jimmy Nelson questions here. Uh, Colin Broncato on Twitter asks, is Jimmy Nelson's career in serious jeopardy? And then I'll also combine it with another one. Would Jimmy have injured himself if the start time had not been changed? And who's that one? That, that's, bo- that's Colin. Colin. Colin oh, that was, oh, that was also those. Colin. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, Colin okay. was both of those. Do you want to take this first? Uh, I I have no opinion on the start the start time um, because I know Colin's joking, but uh, I don't even have anything witty to say about no, it. No, it is very serious. And, that that start time was the most important thing that happened last week. And I did care about it about like a one point whatever I said I cared about it. Um, <laughs> but it, Jimmy Nelson's career shoulder injuries are not 
easily understood or like easily projected. So yeah, I th- don't this isn't I, the same as like if a guy has Tommy John. Right. And Tommy John obviously is still a risk, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more track record to be able to project what somebody coming back from Tommy John looks like, what the time frame looks like, when you should expect velocity back, when you should expect a guy to be able to get back on the mound, different things like that. Shoulder injuries, those can really mess you up. And I don't know how serious Jimmy Nelson's injury is. I don't think they really even have a time frame yet oh. for when they're looking to get him back in oh. terms of if he's going to miss anything for spring training. I don't know if I've missed something with that. Yeah. So um, the way this kind of went yesterday, obviously the first thing I heard was when you hear torn labrum for pitchers, that's awful. That's very bad news, even though in this case it was a partial tear. Um, so you, I started reading some things. I did, people on Twitter, we were sharing around some articles some of them had some fairly old information on them. Well, again, a lot of those articles were from like, they're like 2004, yeah. which I mean. Also, could you even read them between like in the midst of having tears in your eyes? Yeah, I was. Like, I was everything re- had to have been super blurry. I oh, was I thought reading- you meant because they were so old, they were on like GeoCities websites. <laughs> <laughs> right. So anyway. Uh, you find them via Alta Vista. <laughs> It was, it was, hey, what's, you know, your, what's it your was, Lycos email again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My mom still uses Lycos email, by the way. Um, so anyway, the, uh, uh, some of those articles, yeah, it, it was, it was fairly scary and fairly. I mean, they were stuff. talking about Rob men, right? It was, it was older <laughs> stuff, but again, as JP was saying, the, the shoulder is sort of like the big mystery The people we've sort of they figured out how to to deal with elbow blowups shoulders they've been able to strengthen them and get like i, I read the arm by jeff passam um over the last few months and they the shoulder is still when guys hurt it it is a big issue but they've managed to guys have done a better job of strengthening them so it's less frequently an issue which is good um but the big thing was nelson talked to uh Journal Sentinel beat writer Todd Rosiak yesterday, and I'll just read the tweet verbatim. Um, he said, surgery not yet set in stone for Nelson, but if he does have it, he said he's been told the specific procedure has a 90% plus success rate. But Which, I don't understand what that even means. Like of just getting on the mound again, of being able to have velocity back again, being this, you know, quote unquote, the same pitcher. Because those things are like just a 90% success rate in which you can see an MLB game again. That doesn't necessarily tell us a lot. Yeah. So generally, I think when they talk about success rates in this way, they're talking about getting back to previous usage levels because that's the way they, but they not effectiveness it. levels, right? Well, I, they're talking about like physical ability level. I, I think like in terms of being able to like things that can be measured, like you're throwing the same velocity. This sounds like you're not quite sure what you're talking about. No, no it, they talked about this extensively in the arm. They talked about like how you measure like guys coming back. They, they did an, an entire thing about this and it, so you're talking right, about who success, is this? They? The success rate Jeff for Pazza. Tommy John surgery, the numbers that are thrown around for that are just getting back to an MLB game. Um, the, the numbers, I, mean, I would imagine that teams are using different statistics and they're, you know, more intelligent than just trying to figure out what's going on with those, but nobody has access to those statistics to be able to figure out who's coming back to previous usage patterns. The numbers I've seen were previous levels of success numbers for Tommy John stuff. That's what they talk about in the, in the arm. 
Okay. Man, people don't even get back to previous success levels from year to year not well, getting injured. That's yeah, that's right. So the that has to be taken into account somewhat too. But they're because guys do decline. Do you expect a, a 35-year-old to when they have Tommy John surgery to become like 25-year-old them? No. So right. but at any rate, at least this that suggests that this is not one of the more serious types of shoulder injuries and a procedure that's particularly because they said that you know there's different things in the shoulder that can potentially break you can pop what is it capsules okay no i think his is relatively what you mean is the damage he did with this injury which is serious was less than it could have been that's what i'm saying yes like he could have had the same injury but technically injured it worse and then we'd be looking yeah. he could have had a full tear he, he could have like you said popped pr- other caps. I, I think the last time that the brewers have had somebody that tore their labrum was chris chris narvison if i remember correctly and he i mean chris narvison obviously was you know he was a, he was a back-end lefty who went through s- small stints of effectiveness i mean he's not somebody that is anywhere near jimmy nelson's level but he he took a long time to get back but i think his was actually like a clean tear of his labrum if i did, remember correctly did sheets was that a torn labrum uh, that the one in I 2008 that finally went yeah i don't i don't remember yeah i don't um i was gonna say like oh five didn't he didn't he do it or something like that and he had lat injuries for so he long was, too. he always had back injuries and stuff well they yeah they would call them lat injuries they would call them back injuries but it was probably more in the shoulder than they have let on generally. I don't know. And we're, and we all have extensive medical knowledge. In case anybody say, have... is wondering, <laughs> this is like when we should actually have somebody like Dan Wade come in and who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Ra- Ryan's the only one who's pretending to be a uh, medical expert here. Anyway. He read a, so he read a book. It, it sounds like by Jeff Passon. It sounds like noted medical expert could have Passon. been. It sounds like it could have been a lot worse. He read he read a book that Jeff Passon wrote about elbows, and so now he's going to talk about <laughs> lat tears and, and shoulder injuries. Yeah. I would say that I, the, I'm not the, a doctor; best, I just play one on podcasts. I would say that the best news about it, like reducing this to a very narrow scope, is the fact that Jimmy Nelson wasn't saying his shoulder hurt. Uh, he wasn't saying that, you know, he had a lot of sharp pain. He just said it felt weird. And that obviously can mean a lot of things. But if you really mess up your shoulder, saying it felt weird isn't necessarily the description that I would expect somebody to be giving. Right. So, you would expect it to be, yeah, more severe. If and, they... and obviously, I think we're all trying to look at this with the rosiest outlook possible it is kind of what it comes down to. But I, I'm with no medical knowledge. I'll just say that I'm going to be surprised if he's, you know, pitching in April next year. Yeah, it, it could be. I, I it mean, could be. at this point, I, I figure best case scenario, he's going to get a late start on the season. I mean, well, they're going to baby him into spring well, training. Well, exactly. No There's, what, right? Yeah, I don't think he's going to pitch like a full spring training and he's going to be ready to go out of the gate. Right? Yeah, it just seems like an unnecessary be risk. He'll be cautious yeah. no matter what. Yeah. But I, would, I will say that this injury makes me even more confident that they're going to go out and get a legit arm this winter. You mean picking up Matt Garza's option? I said a legitimate arm, not somebody who actually has an arm. Not different things. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait, wait. Garza will be traded, I guess. So they'll have to replace him. Laugh now. Oh, we're going to keep bringing that up. Um, Okay. So anyways, hey, 
JP, I don't know if you saw the game, but Jimmy Nelson actually got injured when he uh, ripped a ball off the wall in left field. Did you see that? Uh, so I'm I'm blacked out. Okay, uh, he was he was not blacked out drunk, but I am blacked out. He was hitting. He would have been better off blacked out drunk than watching yeah, that live. J- Jimmy Nelson was hitting at the time, and uh, took a wide turn at first base, and uh, didn't realize when the ball caromed off the wall that. There was no way a guy who runs like Jimmy Nelson was going to get to second base. So he quick t- put on the brakes, turned around, made a bad slide into first base, got injured. I wouldn't call it a slide so much as a tumble. He fell. It was, he, a, it was a mass of man just hitting the ground and just, rolling. It was sort of a, yeah, it, it was a tumble. So anyways, this brought up a lot of hand-wringing and consternation over the fact that the National League still... Gnashing of teeth and wailing as well. Don't forget the sure. gnashing of teeth and wailing. Uh, the National League still uh, lets pitchers bat. And I know, Ryan, you have some thoughts on this. You believe that the National League should abolish uh, pitchers hitting and bring the DH. Now, now, if you want to give us your reasoning on that. Well, okay. The first reason and the most important reason is that they suck at it. Pitchers are not, they're not really asked to hit in any sort of like professional way in the way any other position is. They don't hit at levels that are like professional hitter levels. Uh, There are a few exceptions, but really they're, they're few and far between. And so they're not asked to do it in any sort of meaningful way. They're not selected for it. Like guys don't advance up or fail to advance. No, no, no. Yeah. No pitcher advances on their back. Right. So it's really just sort of this vestigial thing of like the old part of the game. We mean, they, where, where pitchers were one of the nine players on the field, therefore they played like everyone else. Right. When they were, when pitchers were throwing the ball underhanded and the hitters got to request where they wanted it in the strike zone. And that, okay, yes, that's, Keep going. that's the point. Anyway, JP's so he's getting bored with this already. So anyway, the, they're not selected for it. They don't, you know, they're not good what are at your it. other it's all reasons? bad so they don't it's not a value added to the game it's really a value detracted like them hitting is is value lost in the game to begin with then when you add in the fact that they do get hurt in the field doing this extra thing that they're not that doesn't add any value to the game anyway so you're arguing that since pitchers get hurt they shouldn't bat no, I'm saying that because of the fact that they're bad at it anyway and because it doesn't add anything to the game regardless, that once you take that and then you add in this extra risk, it's really stupid that they're hitting. Okay, here's what's stupid. It's, it's really stupid. There's is, no point to it. Here's what's stupid. This comes up every time a pitcher gets injured. Sure. That's when that's, people get pissed off about it. And what's dumb about that is there's no reason to bring the DH in the National League because a pitcher gets injured because anybody can get injured in any of these stupid ways. Right, but it's adding extra risk. This it's, adds an additional level of risk. It's not an insurance company. Well, <laughs> like, pitchers, <laughs> pitchers contracts add up to like $1.5 billion. Nobody, nobody didn't so, like, insure you're pitchers. Talking, you're talking about like If it was a legitimate risk, the, the NL wouldn't be saying, signing people to contracts if they were concerned about investing in people that were going to get injured batting. Well, wait, what? <laughs> If if they, if you're saying that because they invest so much money into pitchers, they like 
they need to be protected at all costs. Like if, if teams mm-hmm. were actually worried about it and they thought they were sinking money into somebody that had extra risk than anybody else, they wouldn't be handing out huge contracts to pitchers in that now. I mean, the other thing is protecting at all costs. So hold on. It's not protecting at all costs. It's eliminating this thing that already doesn't really do much for the game anyway, that already detracts from the game and does present some additional injury risk. You can argue that it's not a huge, significant injury risk. That's fine. But since it's an already a facet of the game that's not adding much to the the value of the game, pitchers hitting is not adding like this big extra value. Okay, here's your What's argument. The- here's your argument. You want more offense in the game, so bring the DH to the NL. No, that's not my argument. But it should be that's because that's the that's only legitimate argument is you want more offense, get rid part of, of pitchers. Is, part of it is you're saying is the pitcher spot is is a value detracted in terms of how much offensive potential it brings, and they could get hurt doing it while doing something they suck at, so get them out. And like that's what it comes down. That's that's your argument. Those okay, your your sure, argument sure, for this okay. your argument for this needs to be I want more offense. Okay, that's fine. And with interleague play, it's stupid that the leagues don't have the same rules. Okay. Since uh, uh, interleague okay. play exists, there, especially since they play interleague all season long now, there's no reason to have this weird different set of rules for each league. Fine. If you want to make those arguments for me, go ahead. That is the only reason. And anyways, Jimmy Nelson did not get hurt batting. He got, he got injured running. The bases. running. Are we going to stop pitchers from running? Stop that. That's well, but that's how he's extra. This is extra running. That is is how he got injured. Not have been doing if it wasn't for the fact that he was also hitting. I think that this is ultimately a situation in which people try to deal with their frustration over people that they like and members of their team getting hurt in ways that they don't like watching them do. So we try to fix the game so we don't have to worry about that situation anymore. And ultimately, I think it's just. I don't necessarily think there's a reason to keep it, but I don't think that there's a reason to get rid of it. Sure. I, the thing is, I don't like that it comes up at times like this because it makes it seem like it's all about the injury. Well, you were the one that immediately started like flailing around and talking about how the DH needs to come to the NL. It does. Immediately after this for happened. Other, for reasons other than this, this is just another reason in but the But you only brought it up because of this. I so would bring I, it up at other times too. I will say that I don't care if it comes and I don't care if it doesn't come. But one of the benefits of an NL and uh, an LDH is that you'd get people, uh, you know, like Jesus Aguilar would get to get more at bats. You'd be able to find more guys like Vog- Dan Vogelbach with the Cubs would be able to potentially come up through the system a little bit more. But then you have a situation in which you've got guys who are great hitters and can't do anything else and are terrible fielders. And it, it does, but it also, I think, Think about some the value of career extension that it can have for guys like Ryan Braun can start D eight if if the DH were to come to the next I think he was just year, ma- he was just making that argument guys who don't need to be in the field anymore. Well, it's it's not that he would have to be out of the field every game. It's that he could he could take a couple DH days a week and you know prolong his career and you know have better seasons and be healthier. Though Ryan Braun generally injures himself when he's swinging the bat. So maybe we There's should find too. ways that he doesn't get injured at the plate. I don't know. But like you look at maybe they should put a T up there for him and then he wouldn't get hurt. Is that what we should do? How much do you want to change the game here? <laughs> oh, let's, I'm just let's curious. completely at, change. At what point let's do just... we not want it to be baseball anymore and you want a different game? 
Oh yeah, I want I want complete platoons. That's what this is all about. Thank exactly. you, thank you for identifying hey, that. Hey, I brought up as, my argument <laughs> as catching gets more difficult, more complex. You know, they're they're actually tracking how good catcher defense is. At what point do you say catchers are specialized, and we don't want our good defensive catchers batting because they have a very significant role to play on defense, and we need another DH. There. If it were to get to the point where catchers were at the level of pitchers. As in terms of hitting, I would be okay with switching it. Well, I don't know when when the the pitch framing first came out. It certainly elevated catchers almost to that. But at that point, there's a massive difference. You look at what the difference is between catchers, where they were the the average was somewhere in the high sixes for OPS, and the top hitters, which are the top, like left field and first base, which was like right around 800. And then you look at pitchers, and they're down in like the threes or the twos. Sure, but remember, Jimmy... Like, there's a massive difference between pitchers and every other position on the field. Again, remember, Jimmy Nelson ripped one off the wall, so it's not like pitchers can't hit. So, um, anyways... We can't talk about this anymore. I just don't care. Okay, so, so anyways, part of the reason he got injured was the way the ball caromed off the wall because the Brewers were playing the Cubs in Wrigley Field. Uh, so Abe, so ban Wrigley? Is that what we're going for? Oh, I'm hey, already on that bandwagon. I've been for that for a while. That uh, the urinal in the middle of Chicago needs to go. They need they, at least okay. At well, least they I'm need distancing to, myself from that comment. Oh, that <laughs> place is that place is a urinal. They just pee wherever they want. Have you ever been there? I'm distancing myself from that comment. They call them <laughs> troughs, but everybody's just peeing on walls. Um. Anyways, okay. It, they should they should pad those walls. The the ivy and the brick has, is ridiculous. Completely outlived its kitschiness that everybody loves. But on a scale of 1 to 10, where's the rivalry with the Cubs for you guys? That's from Abe Jarowski on Twitter. JP, do you, do you have any feelings towards the Cubs? Do you feel that's a big-time rivalry for the Brewers, or is it just another game? It ultimately depends on how good the Cubs are. If the Cubs are doing well, I feel like there's much more attention-seeking from that fan base. And so I get more comments in my Twitter feed that just annoy me because they think I care about another team, which I don't. So I actually enjoy it when we beat the Cubs, when the Cubs are doing well, because then uh, I don't have to see those things in my Twitter timeline. Um, I mean, I guess I see if we're going to judge it as a rivalry, you have to see it as regardless of what the team is doing, either team is doing like it's a big time game. Yeah, the only the the piece that gets really annoying for me is that it brings out the little brother complex in Brewers fans, Clearly. and and it brings out a or lot the of older things. brother complex. Like it brings out a lot of things in which Brewers fans are like, "We matter, we matter," you know, like, and everybody's like, "Oh, look at the Cubs; they're paying they're paying attention to the Brewers, and they're so worried about us." And isn't that fantastic? Um, like, ultimately, I I don't want to like. Ever since I've started writing on baseball more, I've I care about rivalries and things like that much less. Like I I've had to write on other teams, I've had to analyze other teams, I've had to interact with other fan bases. Like all fan bases are pretty much the same. It's just big fan bases have more people. And when you add more people into into big, you know, into into things, you get a much you get a, many more idiots. So like big fan bases have more idiots because there are more people in them. And so that's the problem. 
that's you don't you don't see people being like, wow, the Padres have a lot of assholes in their in their fan base. I mean, they probably have some, but like proportionally, it's probably the same. Yeah, I mean, and again, for the Cubs, I mean, their rivalry is with the Cardinals. Like, if it comes down to it, that's the team that they're always looking at. And like, the Brewers' rivalry with the Cardinals right. is pretty... And that's, just a, and that's just like a history of success, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they've always been chasing that's why the Cardinals. Nobody cared about the, that's why no one cared about the Pirates for years. Exactly. Well, and I always look at it as, okay, you know, Wisconsin sports, you know, podcasts and everything. Most of us are Packer fans. As Packer fans... Like when the Vikings pop up or the Lions pop up, they're annoying and they're immediately a rival. But I don't think anybody looks at those teams as like a primary rival of the Packers. The Vikings are pretty close because say, they're actually, better. Because they're better. Say, growing, growing up, I actually hated the Vikings much more than I hated the Bears. Well, because the Bears were generally irrelevant. Well, but right. the thing is, the Bears, regardless of how good they are, you hate the Bears in that game and you want to beat the Bears regardless. Okay. So Milwaukee has a thing. Wisconsin has a thing about games against Illinois teams in Chicago, Chicago in particular. Yeah. So that's kind of a Wisconsin Illinois thing. But as far as the two clubs, like the Brewers and the Cubs, I don't think it's as much of a thing. I mean, if I anything, like to, the Brewers. I would like to, I'd like to point out that I think it's much more more where you are brought up in the state. Sure. Because I think that people in the Milwaukee area have to interact with. Uh, Chicago fans much more often and they have to see things on on TV because they're in Chicago television markets and things. So I think that they have to interact with those, those teams much more often where I care. I I care much more about the rivalry. Like I, I hate the Vikings way more than I hate the bears. Steven, I had, I mean, I don't care about the NFL that much, but like, I hate the, like I could, I could not care less about Northwestern. I could not care less about the university of Illinois. I hate the university of Minnesota. Steve and, and I had well, that's clearly a thing. More. Yeah, the ground squirrels are just. We had kind of the the different experience of we both grew up in the Madison area, and so we had that experience, and then moved down to Milwaukee within a few years of each other, and once we got here, immediately picked up a previously unheld level of animus towards the Bears. I guess I'd say it was like we didn't care about the Bears as much in Madison. But once here in Milwaukee, it like I, changed. I honestly thought you were going to go with the Badgers and Marquette. Oh, there was that too. That oh, was that the was one a huge. That yeah, was the we one did not. I yeah. clearly went from like I don't think about Marquette at all to I just openly loathe everything that has to do with Marquette. <laughs> yes, that was that was that's also one hundred percent true. That's the one that I picked up that it, it didn't exist in Madison and it happened in Milwaukee. And part of that is Milwaukee for some reason cares about Madison and Madison does not think about Milwaukee at all. Yeah, no. there is there is that weird. They care about Minneapolis and St. Paul much more than they care about Milwaukee. Yeah, which is weird, but yeah, it's true. That's yeah, and yeah, I grew up caring much more about wanting to beat the Vikings and and that the baseball is weird though because switching leagues. I do remember the rivalry with the White Sox. That was, was intense. That was nasty, and that and was one was, where like you had to be ready when you went to games. Like there were, yes, like if you sat in certain areas and were like <laughs> wanting to go have a, a, just a brawl, people would do that um, versus, you know, the twins thing has always been, a, you know, something of a rivalry too, uh, especially because it's carried forward. Like they've always been playing the twins since they moved to the National League. That's been a, something that's carried on. Um, 
but there's also distance there. I mean, Milwaukee and the the Twin Cities just are so far apart. There's just not the the proximity dislike, even though one part of it was in the 80s, the Brewers were not in the same division as the Twins. Like, the Twins were in the West and winning the West with, like, 87, 88 wins, and the Brewers were slogging it out trying to, like, beat up the Yankees and the Orioles and whoever and missing the playoffs with 97 wins or whatever. So there was that there was that angle of it too, but yeah. So if I had to put a number on it to address this specific question, uh, I'd say it's about a four, but that's mostly a reflection of the fact that I don't really hate any baseball team. Yeah. I like to make fun. I like to make fun of Cubs fans. Yeah. They make it easy. So I, it's definitely higher for me because my brother is a Cubs fan. Yeah, that's fair. Well, it's just that Cubs, Cubs fans care so much about what you say about them. Like that that's, turns, that's one of the big things. They care about what you say about them, but really they hadn't cared about the team that much for how many years. That's <laughs> that's what makes them kind of that type of fan, I guess. Yes. yes. So anyways, hey, uh, let's move on to some other baseball. Uh, Paul Noonan asks, are the Dodgers tanking on purpose to get the Rockies and the D-backs in? What do we think? Are, they, are the Dodgers scared of the Brewers? <laughs> yes. Clearly. I mean, the Brewers went and took two out of three from the Dodgers and should have taken the third. And it, yeah, clearly the Dodgers are scared of the Brewers. And why wouldn't they be? I, that, yeah, that clearly has to be the reason um, that the Dodgers went on this losing streak. They play, they're playing the Rockies. They've been dropping games to the Rockies, which keeps the Brewers out of uh, getting that wild card spot. What do you think, JP? Uh, I actually was going to take this a little bit more seriously and take and like look at not whether or not the Dodgers are tanking on purpose because I don't care. Um, but the fact that the Rockies actually started to win some games when the Brewers weren't able to take advantage of the Cincinnati Red Series actually hurt the Brewers quite a bit heading into this Cubs series because the they were able to get within what was it a game and a half? Of the Rockies, I think something they were, like that. A game. They were close, yeah. I think it was a game. No, it was but half then, a game. But they were coming, they had it down to half a game. But then coming into the Cubs series, like it was back up to to I think four games or something like that. Um, and so the, all all the attention that was put on the wild card then got shifted to the Cubs series again, which rightfully so because you know it's a, it's the NL Central game and you still want to be able to try to win the NL Central if possible. But partially that happened because. Like the distance between the two teams was basically the same at that point. It was the same, and basically you can take games heads up against the Cubs at this point. Yeah, if you absolutely. can play the Cubs, you have a better chance of beating the Cubs than you do of trying to pass the Rockies. Right. Absolutely. You know, and so, they still have four games after the series finishes. So, but I, I would say I would say for like the Dodgers, the Nationals, and the Astros, teams that wrapped up for all intents and purposes, they wrapped up their divisions at the beginning of August, if not sooner, if not sooner, um, like all of these teams don't really have anything to play for. And not only don't they have things to play for, they're trying to protect their arms for some of the starters that are going to be able to go. You've still got the nationals trotting out Edwin, uh, Edwin Jackson. You've still got, you know, the Astros, they don't really care what's happening. They didn't, they made a, a really minor move that I can't remember what it was around the, the, the trade deadline. Um, oh no, they went and got uh, Justin Verlander as well. So they actually they they did a <laughs> just, thing, just yeah, a minor no, they move. Did, they did a real thing, but before that, they did just a, a move former that. Cy Young Award winner. Well, 
and yes. and the the best pitcher in the game for a few years. Yeah, he he's decent. Um, but I I think there is something to say that you see a lot of these teams to go on losing stretches once it comes the kind of the dog days of summer, August, September, when everybody is exhausted, everybody doesn't really have anything to play for. Anymore. Well, and I mean, this, this is, drops. this is partly a flaw in the way that major league baseball does their postseason, And the fact that, uh, wildcard teams are automatically matched up against each other for the playing game instead of the top three records get that first round by, and then the bottom, bottom two have to do the playing game. At least that way you'd force these teams that if they had the division wrapped up, they'd still have to play for something. Right. Not that, not that the Dodgers at this point would be in any danger of falling back, but still you'd probably keep a couple more teams interested for a little bit longer. Yeah. And Ken Rosenthal tweeted out a statistic from stats, Inc um, or stats, LLC or whatever the hell their actual name is. Uh, but he was saying that there was only one team in baseball history that won the World Series going one and twelve over a stretch, and everybody was like, "Wow, that's incredible!" And that that Braves team back in the early twentieth uh, century was called the Miracle Braves, and like how incredible it would be if the Dodgers were to go. Like, how many teams that go one and twelve are still going to win a hundred games? Like, if you go through a one and twelve stretch, by and large, you're just a bad baseball team. And so there aren't very many scenarios in which good baseball teams go through that long of a stretch. And so if we're looking at samples and we're trying to figure out who the real Dodgers are, like nobody says that Dodgers are the team that was going one one and 12, like that'd be stupid. Yeah. There's, there's no team in history that you can really compare them to and say, this gives you any information on what the kind of team they are. No, no. Yeah. And especially at this point in the season, the fact that they're not, inclined to put their foot on the gas and they're gonna they'll rest guys quicker than they might otherwise if they fall behind in a game and all that stuff it there's just no reason to think that this matters in any significant way other than if there were a bunch of guys hurt which i the dodgers had that throughout the season to the, yeah with. the dodgers like, still have had, injuries all year. yeah the dodgers still have had guys in and out of the lineup so i mean i i'm sure they get to the end of september everybody's ready to go for the playoffs it's probably going to be a, a blip more than anything else. So, um, okay, we're going to keep moving. Um, Charlie Robleski asks, uh, if you were making a trade for current MLB talent, who in the Brewers farm system would you be willing to move? Which is kind of broad, I guess. You know, what, what's a position of need that the Brewers have in the offseason? I guess what would you be willing to give up for acquiring someone? Who's who's tradable in the farm system right now? I mean, because we know that the Brewers aren't willing to part with Brinson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that if you're looking at if you're looking for players who are most likely to be traded, you would immediately go to the outfield because that's where they have the vast majority of their depth. I would say Keon Broxton still somebody that you could potentially see be moved. I don't think it's going to be for an impact piece, but he could still be moved for a big league a big leaguer. How do you feel about trading guys who had down years like Corey Ray? I mean, that's fine, but just don't expect anything huge to come back. That's the issue is like, I don't actually have a problem with trading those sorts of guys. Um, I have a problem with thinking that they're going to bring back anything substantive. Well, and that's kind of the issue I have is when you're trading low, you, if you were going to make a move like that, you would have to sort of deal with it relatively carefully. You don't want to be the one out there pushing to move Corey Ray on the market because then everybody is going to say, well, you must not think much of Corey Ray. So 
we're not going to give you value. So even if you think Corey Ray is a guy you'd be willing to give up because of the down season, because of the, the down perception of him right now, that becomes a trick. Like you have to, you have to navigate that carefully. So it's probably not a great idea to give somebody up like that because getting fair value is probably going to be hard unless somebody just absolutely loves him. Well, it's probably if somebody asks about him, you listen. Right. But you're, you're not going to actively shop him thinking you're going to cash in. Because right. And, and yeah. the idea that Corey Ray is going to be the headliner in some kind of major deal is probably unlikely. I mean, I think that if you're really trying to trade somebody to acquire talent, teams are going to be asking for Monty Harrison. They're not going to be asking for Corey Ray. Harrison, uh, Corbin Burns. And so I don't necessarily think that Monty Harrison is a better overall prospect than Corey Ray is at, you know, at this point. But if you are trying to go for a player... Monty Harrison's the kind of guy that you want because of his ultimate ceiling and the fact that he kind of looks like he's starting to put it together. You also could see them trade an arm because they've got a lot of young arms coming through the system right now. Uh, Freddie Peralta is an arm that that could go. He still has question marks. I know he's still pitching very well, and I know he's racking up the strikeouts, but he has question marks over his long-term projection. And so those are the types of guys that you would potentially see moved. Um you know, whether, I mean, I don't think Corbin Burns is going to go anywhere, but obviously if you, the problem is, is like, that's the obvious sell high guy, but nobody actually wants to sell high because now everybody is excited that he might actually be this guy. So any kind of scenario in which you're talking about trading high, you're trading, you're going to be trading high on guys that are good. And I will say, Oh, we should Cubs, point out that the Brewers Cubs just, just yeah, the Brewers just swept the Cubs for the series. So, so they're two games back in the NL Central, and the Rockies right now are leading the Dodgers two nothing. So, that's unfortunate. Well, again, the Brewers are playing more games against the Cubs here at the end. So, uh, and it's a much bigger prize. Beating, beating the Cubs well, would be a Cubs much bigger and prize. The Cardinals, the, right? yeah, Cardinals are proven to be a thorn in the side of yeah because the cubs or the too. cardinals won as well so the the yes. cardinals and brewers are what was it two games behind the cubs yes so yeah so, the, a lot of important games in the division coming up here absolutely and it's unfortunately i i think a lot of fans will not be happy to see the fact that the team coming to town is the pittsburgh pirates who have annoyed fans to no end this season and so i think that the Pirates the, the have Mike, annoyed nobody more than their own fans this season. <laughs> well, I do think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Miami game because that's supposed to be in Miami, and obviously they're going to be reeling with the fact that Hurricane Irma uh, is rolling into Florida and causing a lot of havoc. So They're going to have I, multiple dolphins out there jumping around. Actual real dolphins? Actual Steve? real dolphins on their uh, home run. I, Fortunately, it looks like Miami didn't catch the worst of it. I would like to point out that, first of all, it's a Marlin. Oh yeah, so figure it out. <laughs> uh, second of all, I'd like to be able to say that I'm stepping away from it. you're. It's a, a fish. It's not the same thing as a dolphin. It's it's a stupid fish. A on dolphin a stupid, isn't a fish, Steve. It's a stupid kitschy thing out in the outfield, just like the rest of Florida. It's all a bunch but of it, kitschy crap. The sculpture but, is stupid. Again, I would like to say that I am publicly uh, stepping away from that comment. I said it was kitschy, not stupid. <laughs> I meant the earlier comment about having multiple dolphins in their stadium. <laughs> Fine. They'll have many fish. They'll have a school of fish. 
That is what sure? a group of fish yes, would that be is, called. That is a, yes. yes. Oh, okay. Or I'm a just, pod of that dolphins. Is scientific, pod that of... is scientifically accurate, yes. Okay, there we go. Um, yeah, okay. So we have the Pirates coming up for three. They get a break on Thursday, and then they're in Miami. So, uh, I mean, again, are there issues with Pittsburgh? They're just – do they not match up well with Pittsburgh? Or what's they, the deal they've there? Got ton, they've got a ton of hard-throwing righties. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a – that's not a profile that a team like the Brewers matches up well against. And though now we would expect them to just load the lineup with lefties and they've done that and can do that. They can do that. And the other problem with the the pirates is, is that if you have now, especially if you have a rotation of guys who are not expected to strike out a bunch of players, the pirates are going to be pesky. And, yeah, the they, don't they necessarily a, have a great defensive, uh, a great defensive team out there. So. They had a series earlier this year where they blooped and dinked and dunked everything in sight into the. Into well, play. you think yeah. that happens all the time, though. Oh, stop! That's anyway, one of your chief complaints that in umps. Uh, yeah, the last and, time I complained about umps was a very long time. In basketball refs, I do not like basketball refs. No, you don't. I do not. Um, so, any other thoughts for the end of the show going into next week? No, I mean this is this is well, really even, fantastic that they're in even, this position yeah. is uh, right borderline yeah. unbelievable. It's I was going to say email us email us some things like tell us some stories. What what have you liked over the season? What are some some good events that you've been to at the ballpark? Have you gotten any fights with uh, any opposing fans? Anything like that? And I should point out that I I have kind of uh, not totally skipped over questions, but I've been trying to keep it tailored more towards stuff that's happening right now since the Brewers are in it. Um, if, if you want any questions about, you know, roster decisions for next year and stuff like that or 2019, Charlie asked about, yeah, we had a a question about 2019, which is great. Uh, we'll probably talk about that more in the off season since again, we have actual baseball to talk about right now. So hold on to those things to talk about in the off season. Exactly. So hold on to those questions, but we will get to that stuff. So, um, as always follow us on Twitter at MKE tailgate. And then you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page. And again, look for us on disciples of You can contact us there as well. Um, follow all that, go to disciples of Euchre, like their Facebook page, like our Facebook page, follow everybody on Twitter, whatever. Um, you'll have a flood of spam, I guess, on all your social media networks. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and you can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Fair weather, fair weather.